0: This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. It seems
1: like this stuff of science fiction. A robotic car that needs no human driver. That dream has come true, but is it a dream or a nightmare? As a
2: roboticist, I'm obviously advocating for the development of this technology, but there's a difference between developing and researching technology and then deploying it on public roads.
1: Then... Every day, accidental medicine poisoning sends over 100 youngsters to the emergency room, and some of them don't survive. What can parents do to protect their children?
2: Almost half of parents incorrectly believe that child-resistant means a child won't be able to get into it at all, and so we still need parents to store that up and away out of a child's
1: reach. Don't go away. InfoTrack comes your way right after this.
0: InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting.
1: It seems like the stuff of science fiction, a robotic car that needs no human driver. But a recent pedestrian death involving a driverless Uber car in Arizona has raised serious questions about the futuristic vehicles. Are they ahead of their time? Can they really be safe on high-speed roads or in complex traffic situations? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey talks with a robotics expert who shares her views
0: on the subject. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Our guest is Missy Cummings, Ph.D., professor in the Duke University Pratt School of Engineering, the Duke Institute of Brain Sciences, and she's the director of the Humans and Autonomy Laboratory and Duke Robotics. We aren't going to hash over the specifics of any one incident, but in general, you've been a critic of how quickly driverless technology is being tested on public roads across the country. Can you tell us why you're so concerned?
2: Well, first, I want to say that I am a fan of the technology, and as a roboticist, I'm obviously advocating for the development of this technology. But there's a difference between developing and researching technology and then deploying it on public roads. I mean, that's a substantial leap. That people are taking right now and given the fact that there's never been any formal testing or any results from any formal test released to any municipality or state or federal agency, I think it's incredibly premature knowing what I do about how brittle these cars are that we should not be moving this quickly.
0: Perhaps one reason we're moving so quickly is because federal transportation officials have relied on voluntary safety reporting thus far. How do you think government oversight needs to change in this area? Do we need more regulations?
2: Well... Voluntary reporting of results, you know, I think it's ludicrous in this day and age when, you know, we don't even really understand as researchers what we're dealing with in terms of autonomous technology. So one good example is recently a group of researchers figured out that they could put stickers over a stop sign and it would make a car computer vision system see a 45 mile per hour speed limit sign. So, you know, that's a pretty big weakness in a system that we've only just recently identified. And so if academic researchers are still uncovering problems, major problems in the fidelity of these systems, then that should signal to the federal agencies, wait a minute, we need to think about how we're doing this and perhaps introduce acceptance tests, certification tests. I'm advocating for vision tests for these systems to at least get them on the same page about what constitutes safe behavior.
0: We should mention that cars operated by humans killed nearly 6,000 pedestrians last year, and the Governor's Highway Safety Association noted that more than a third of the pedestrians who were killed were legally drunk. Talk for a moment about why and how pedestrians are a particular problem for these driverless cars.
2: Well, we do a lot of pedestrian research at Duke University, and yes, that uptick in deaths is unquestionable. In fact, we're actually researching right now how to take over people's cell phones because they're looking at their cell phones when they cross the road. You know, forget drinking, cell phones are also causing problems. Mm-hmm. But that being said, Driverless car technology, the computer vision systems, they have to have their settings adjusted, particularly in urban settings, which are obstacle-dense environments, so that they can basically pick out the signal from the noise. And that can be a real problem if there's a lot of activity, if there's a lot of movement in the world. Now, in the case of the recent Uber crash, it's not clear why late at night, for example, a woman pushing a bike would not be detected. You would think that the bigger the object, if there's movement, it would be detected. But sensor weights variables change inside the algorithm depending on where the car is and the sensors themselves change in capability depending on the speed of the car so this is exactly one of those questions like we don't really know where to draw the line in terms of where to put some of these variable weightings for example and so without doing more tests and doing broad tests which companies can agree upon it's hard for us to set a standard
0: Our guest on InfoTrack is nationally recognized robotics expert. Professor Missy Cummings from Duke University's Pratt School of Engineering. She's also the director of the Humans and Autonomy Laboratory and Duke Robotics, and we're discussing the rollout of driverless car technology on our nation's roads and highways. Professor Cummings, are we perhaps unfairly expecting perfection here, because pedestrians are killed by human drivers literally every day, and it barely makes the local news. But if it happens with a driverless car, now granted, this is the first time, but it's been national headlines.
2: Well, that's because it's the first one. And by the way, this won't be the last one. Mm. I think that the issue is most roboticists like myself, we're not advocating for a perfect system. But what we need to do is define what we think is good enough, right? Certainly a car that is driving down the road, if seeing a woman pushing a bike, it should be within the realm of a human and thus a car to be able to detect that entity in the road and then make adjustments accordingly. So yes, we shouldn't expect perfection out of the car, but we should expect at least good enough behavior that would have been picked up by people without being impaired behind the wheel. But this goes back to my earlier call for vision test. We do know, we being researchers in the field, know that these cars have trouble with pedestrians, bicyclists, entities on the side of the road particularly at various speeds and in different areas curved roads can be obviously a problem so you know until we can actually define what we think that good enough threshold is this discussion about are you requesting cars to be perfect is really kind of moot because we can't define we can't measure against what that standard should have been
0: I think many people would agree that the driverless car has moved from sci-fi to reality much faster than the average person might have expected. But as an expert in robotics, and I realize this might be tough to answer, what do you think is a realistic time frame for this technology to safely go mainstream?
2: It's not a binary answer because the cars actually themselves, I think for low-speed environments, For example, you've been hearing a lot about shuttles on campuses. I do think that they should be allowed to operate in these exploratory experimental spaces at low speeds. We know that there's a knee in the curve at 25 miles an hour, if people hit below 25 miles per hour the fatality rate drops significantly than above 25 miles an hour. And in general, you can also have people monitoring and under slow speed environments, there's just simply more time to react. So I'm actually a big fan of having low speed environments where these cars can actually work out some of these kinks above 25 miles per hour and certainly at highway speeds it raises many more questions the environments themselves are much more difficult because of the speed but also because the sensors have difficulty picking up everything they need in the time frame that they need to pick it up
0: is it safe to say that this technology is going to be a widespread thing it's pretty inevitable in our lifetimes
2: i do believe that in these more structured, well-controlled environments that we're going to start to see more and more vehicles in, you know, airport shuttles, transportation shuttles, and local city environments. I do think we're still pretty far away from being able to call your driverless car on your phone and jumping in the back seat and having it drive you across the country.
0: Dr. Cummings, we're nearly out of time, but do you have any final thoughts for us?
2: We have very rigid procedures put in place for those automated systems that go on airlines, for example. The FAA would never be allowed to introduce an auto land system without doing due diligence, significant testing. The technology of driverless cars is actually far more advanced than auto land capability on aircraft. And so if we insist to have high safety thresholds for aircraft, By not having at least equally safe thresholds for driverless cars, we really do put the American public at risk because this technology is so new and unproven.
0: Fascinating topic. Robotics expert Missy Cummings, Ph.D., professor in the Duke University Pratt School of Engineering, the Duke Institute of Brain Sciences, and she's the director of the Humans and Autonomy Laboratory and Duke Robotics. Thank you very much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, how to keep kids
1: safe from accidental poisoning. That story, coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this.